Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Vodacy Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore. And as always, thanks for joining me today. I've got a fun episode for you today. I just actually did a live training inside of one of our Facebook groups, and we did a training on how to get your offers accepted in these white-hot real estate markets. We talked about some foundational things that we should be prepared as we dive into these markets, but then also some really specific strategies on what you should be doing. Specifically, there's three top things that I include in every single offer that really helps our offer stand out and puts us above the crowd and in these really competitive markets. So if you're looking to get some offers accepted and you're having some struggles and, and wondering what you can do to make your offer stand out, this episode's for you. So I'm going to dive into the training, sign off for now, dive into that training, and I really hope you enjoy it. Here we go, guys. We are going to get started. I appreciate you joining us. Um, and then so I'm going to roll through this pretty quick. So there's a few things that we're going to go through um, as we go through this and really, really how to get your offers accepted in these white hot real estate markets. And I'm going to, I'm going to take you through, I've got some notes in Google docs. Hopefully you can see it on your full screen if you are in Facebook. And uh, what we're going to cover today is we're going to start talk first about planning your property acquisition. And then we're going to talk about understanding your experience level, what you're doing, what you're getting into and partnering with the right professionals, and then ultimately structuring the deal. What happens and what we see a lot is a lot of people want to jump down to the structuring your deal part. And that's not exactly where you should be starting. You, you should, I mean, these, these offers or these markets are white hot. When you're making offers, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to be able to jump into these markets quickly. And you have to know what you're doing or you're going to get clobbered and you're going to make bad decisions. You're going to overfit, overpay for properties. It's not going to fit your property goals. And so it's really important to set a foundation and build that, build on that foundation uh, of what you're really doing before you start talking about making offers. And so let's go down to planning your property acquisition. You know, you really need to understand why you're purchasing a property. You know, I always say reasons come first, answers come second. And so think about what your property goals are. Why are you, why are you buying? And because this is going to be, it's going to be like running a marathon. And I can promise you when you start running a marathon, if you don't know why you're running the marathon, you're going to get to mile four or five and then you're going to start getting tired and you're going to give up. And so you really need to really give yourself the, the permission to go and audit why you're doing this. And it's not to make more money. If you're saying, hey, I'm going to buy a property because I want to make more money. That's not why we buy these properties, right? That could be a byproduct of owning these types of properties. And it could be you know, that some of the reasons that we're trying to make more money are going to be a lot more impactful and understanding why we're buying is really important. And I'm not going to dive real deep into this. I know you guys are here because you want to see and talk about structuring the offer, but I hope you take some of this first part really serious of what we're talking about. And then the next, you really need to understand what buyer type you are, where you fit in as a buyer, because your property goals and what you're going to be doing and, and the market you're going into, the offers you're making, what you're putting in the offer, the information you're giving to your partners, your lenders and your, your realtor partners, your lenders and the management companies, all of those different partners, you need to understand what type of buyer you are. So there's really three different buyer types. And one is a lifestyle buyer. A lifestyle buyer is somebody who you know, most people fit into a lifestyle by their families. They're looking for a second home that you know, supplements itself, makes some money, but they want that personal use. So a lifestyle buyer, personal use of the property is really important to them. And so they want to be able to personally use the property, but they also want it 
to not be a second job and they also want it to make money. And so understand if you're going to be a lifestyle buyer. And now there's these three buyer types uh, as we're talking about them, realize that there can be some overlap, right? You, you don't fall right into one category. You can have some overlap, but you really need to understand the major, the major goals of each of these buyer types. Now, a retirement buyer is a buyer who's interested in buying their, their forever home, you know, their retirement home, and they want to buy it today while they've got, you know, pretty good earning potential and they can qualify for the loans. They might not use it a lot right now, but their ultimate goal is to buy a property that they're going to end up in in retirement and they want to supplement it and hopefully pay it off by the time they hit retirement. And so they're really looking at, at very specific areas and things for their own personal use, not necessarily to use it right now, but where they're going to end up is a retirement in retirement. And so they're going to look and their property goals are going to be a little bit different than somebody like say of a lifestyle buyer. And then the third type is a strict investor buyer. And Many people think they're investor buyers, you know, that they only they only care about the return. They're looking to maximize the asset, make the most money. Investor buyers typically don't have any plans to use it nearly as much as a lifestyle buyer. Now they can. And so a lot of times, you know, there's we know that there's the investment buyer aspect for probably all three of them. Right. We're not looking to lose money on these types of properties where these are investments. And so, but a strict investor buyer is really looking at the investability of the property and to maximize their, the ROI. They probably aren't going to use it during the peak seasons because it, it detracts from the money it's going to make. They might not use it very much at all. But and, you know, understanding where you fall into that buyer, those three buyer categories is really going to help you when you start to dive in and start to make offers. And so it's important to understand that. And, and again, I'm not going to go into great detail on all of these different points. And so if you have a lot of questions about these points, then you might you might need to pump the brakes a little bit and say, OK, I'm not quite ready to make offers. So and, and let's get you more information. Right. We can get you more information on all of these points. But as far as as far as the deep understanding of this, that's not why we're here and what we're going to talk about today. So really the importance of defining your goals based on your buyer type, you know, not all properties are going to fit the buyer types or certain buyer types and certain goals, right? And so you understanding that gives you clarity and, and that equals confidence and that equals success. That's why we're really talking about all of this on the, on the front end and building this foundation is we're looking for clarity. We're looking for that confidence and, and ultimately down to down equals success for us because if we can't make moves really quickly in these markets and we can't be really confident about what we're doing, you're not going to get many offers. And if you're just going out there and rolling the dice by not knowing this stuff, you're just gambling and it might work out. You might get the right property, but it might not because not all properties work in these markets. So let's talk about identifying your property goals. So some questions to ask to, to help you understand your end goals is, are you looking to purchase a property to generate steady, regular cash flow, or are you looking for a property to simply pay for itself? You know, a, a lifestyle buyer, sometimes they're looking to, for a property just to pay for itself and supplement itself because they want to use it significantly right now and then ultimately turn it into something that somebody else pays for, but they're not cash flowing really heavily on this. So that, that's a question you can ask yourself. Um, and then if you're looking for cash flow, one of the things is kind of an asterisk there is really be careful chasing specific returns. You know, profitability in this game is something that you add. It's usually not built in. You're not, you don't go chase a property that has specific returns. Most of our best properties, a lot of times on the surface in the very first year, they're, they're making very modest returns because we understand that profitability is something that we're going to add and understanding 
what we can do to maximize these assets. And so if you just go chasing returns and you're looking for a property that gives you, you know, 15, 20% returns or, or more, you're going to be looking for a long time. Most properties don't do that. Most properties are, when you analyze them on the front end, they're probably close to break even. And if they have a really great return, they might be really risky. And so think about it on like the long-term, on the long-term side, you know, you can go buy properties in the slums and the ghettos, and you're going to get a really high cash on cash return. You're going to get really high cap rates, except for the properties are not in the best areas. They're pretty risky to own. There's a lot of problems associated with them. And the same is true in almost all asset classes. The higher the return you chase on the front end, usually the worse the asset is going to be on, you know, that, that you're going to hold for a long time. So don't chase returns. It's okay to want to have a property that maximizes the returns and maximizes cash flow, but you have to understand how to add that and maximize the asset. And so, so be careful about that. You know, next question, are you planning to personally use this property? And how much are you planning on using it? When are you planning on using it? If you want a property that cash flows and you want to use the property, well, you can't use it on the 4th of July and all the weekends or all the holidays, the big holiday weekends, because that's when you're going to make the most money. If you're going to use it during the whole peak season and then put it on the market during the shoulder season, well, in some markets, you make 80 to 90% of your money in the peak season. So you, if you are planning on using the property, you better decide when you're planning on using it. Are you okay using it in the shoulder seasons, in the off seasons? That's when I prefer to use my properties because I want to maximize the cash flow, but I still love the personal use aspect of it. So I'm going to use it when I'm not, you know, when I'm not mad, when I, when I'm not taking away from the profitability during those peak times. Next, how hands-on do you want to be with the operations? You know, it's, you, you need to know this on the front end before you dive in and how hands-on you want to be, how much you want to manage the property before you make offers, because this is going to be a factor in your underwriting. It's going to be, because it's going to affect the profitability of the property. So, you want to determine your buying power, your urgency, you know, how much capital do you have available to purchase? Is it enough for the acquisition and the setup in the market you're looking for? Most people think about the down payment they need to buy these properties. Most people don't think about what it costs to set up a property and then the holding cost before you get your property established and really making predictable income. So do you have enough capital? And if you don't know the answers to what those things are, one, one you need to find them. Um, two, the, the, the market itself is, you know, you might look on Zillow and say, okay, well, I can usually get a, a three bed, two bath for X amount. Well, you don't even know if those, those properties are profitable vacation rooms. So you need to, you need to understand a little bit of the underwriting. And so down payments can be anywhere, anywhere from 10 to 20%, maybe 25%, depending on the lender. If you're getting some of those uh, asset-based loans to the setup and furnishing costs, you're going to budget usually about eight to 10% of your acquisition for that. And then you're going to need to give yourself about six to nine months before a property really establishes itself. So do you have enough capital to dive into the market you're interested in? You know, and then how soon are you looking to purchase? You know, what is, when, when are you wanting to do this? You want to do this tomorrow or you want to do this in six months? If you're looking to purchase in six months, you're not going to be going out and, and bothering a realtor and looking at properties because you're going to wear them out because they're not going to want to show you properties for six months. You're going to have to go out and do some of that on your own. You should be looking at that properties and you should be doing some of that. But if you're, if you're looking to purchase in six months, your strategy is going to be different if you're, than if you're looking to purchase in a, in a month, right? And how aggressive you're going to be and really understanding those markets. So that really takes us to that next level of really understanding your experience level. And understanding your experience level when you're, you know, most people really 
overestimate their experience level, if you will. They underestimate what it takes to succeed in the short-term rental game. And it's really important to understand what, you, what experience level you have in this game. Because if you're very experienced and you very much understand what you're doing, you can be a lot more aggressive. If you're not very experienced, then you better feel, figure out what you need to do to fill in those gaps. And this is, an, this is a very unique asset class with a lot of moving parts when it comes to underwriting the deals with you know all your occupancy, nightly rates, seasonality, all those different things that are moving around on a regular basis that are different than when we're analyzing other types of assets. It's not just about, you know, we have to figure out the revenue potential of a property. It's not just about, is this, is this property worth it? Am I overpaying? Do I understand, you know, the, the average price per square foot in this area? Do I understand the range of price per square foot in an area? All those different things. So what is your experience level diving into not only the short-term rental market, but also the, the market that you're diving into and, and going to be purchasing properties in? You know, I there's a I just heard that there's over three million homes on Airbnb and less than two percent of them gross over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Less than two percent of those three million are even grossing over a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's not net, that's gross. And so that shows you that a lot of people are not really great experts in this space that are in the game. So it's important for you to discover those gaps in your knowledge and plan to fill them. It's okay that you it's okay that you have gaps. As long as we can look in the mirror and say, hey, I understand where what my limitations are, I understand where I need to, where I need help, and I understand where I can go get the answers to help me fill those gaps. So one, some of the questions to, to figure out if, you know, how, how much of an expert are, can you identify profitable markets? Do you know what to look for to identify profitable, profitable short-term rental markets? Can you recognize what makes a profitable vacation rental in your market? You know, do you understand the demographics and the profit drivers for the particular area that you're looking to invest in? Um, do you have a reliable data source for occupancy, average nightly rate, seasonality, supply in your area, all those areas, uh, all those different things that we need to know as we're diving into a specific area. And then, then next, can you quickly and reliably underwrite a deal to make a quick decision? You're going to be asked to make very quick decisions your realtors and the people who are presenting these properties to you, by the time you see it, there's, you know, there's been hundreds of other eyeballs on it and multiple offers in most cases. And so you need to be able to quickly and reliably underwrite a, a deal to make a quick decision. You know, my markets right now are white hot across the country. And if you can't dive in, make quick, accurate decisions and accurate is a key word. Then when you're making those offers, you need to figure out how to fill those gaps way before we start diving into making offers, right? And structuring deals. And so I hope you're understanding why I'm talking about this in the beginning, why we, why we need to lay this foundation of really what our goals are so that we can be clear in what we're looking for. Because if, if you just go into a market, I remember I, I own a brokerage and I used to work with a lot of investors. I've been an investor for a long time and I used to work with a lot of investors. And it, always, it was always funny to me how when some investors would come to me and they would say, hey, I'm just looking for a good deal, Sean. You know, if you've got a good deal and it pencils out, I'm interested. And as an as a agent who was trying to, you know, find properties for them at that time in my life, I was like, this, this is the most frustrating thing because they're not clear on what they want. And so I would have to go through this discovery phase with them. And if you can, if you can go through this discovery phase yourself and you understand exactly what you're looking for, what type of buyer you are, what property type you're looking for, what, what you know, your actual property goals are, what your experience level is, where you need to fill those gaps so you can feel comfortable really moving forward so that 
you're ready to go. Now, all of a sudden, your, your realtor partners are in those, those partners who are bringing you these deals and finding you these deals. They're super excited to work for you and, and work with you to help you find those good deals. But it really puts you in a good position to really make a decision because I can't tell you how many offers you, I, that, it, that we go into. And, and let's say you know, you're working with a realtor partner. Let's flip the script a little bit and say that they understand the market. They're experts in the market. They know what it's going to take to win that deal. But winning the deal and buying that, that property at the highest dollar amount or whatever it takes to win the deal... That doesn't always that doesn't always fit into our property goals. That doesn't always underwrite for us. And so we have to understand where our top is because our realtor might be giving us a really good advice and saying, hey, Sean, if you want to win this deal, this is listed at $500,000, you got to be at least at six or you're not going to get it. But if my underwriting looks at it and I say, I can't, you know, I can't make it make sense over 550 or 575, that should be my top. Not because I might not get the deal, but because that's what my underwriting and that's what my expertise tells me I should be paying. And, and it's based on the cash flow. It's based on my property goes, What does it take to break even? What does it take to make the dollars that I'm looking to make on the back end? Do I have upside potential? All those different things. And so it's not, it's even, even though it takes a certain amount to win a deal, sometimes that's not what we want to do. And we need to understand if, if that makes sense or not. I mean, how many of us have been in these markets and we're like, man, am I overpaying? If you're wondering if you're overpaying, you probably are, you know, or and, and, and if you don't understand that, you just just stay out until you understand whether you're overpaying or not. You know, it's okay to overpay for a property if you know why you're overpaying for it. One of the, I can't remember who it was, a really successful investor made, I mean, he's a, he's a multi-billionaire um, and was quoted one time saying that he made a living overpaying for property. And because he understood the back end numbers, he understood exactly what he was doing. So you don't always have to go buy it at a discount at a huge wholesale deal either. You can overpay for properties if you understand why you're overpaying. So I'll get off on that, uh, that, that rant here for a minute. So the next thing we want to do as we start to get ready to start making offers, and these are, these are critical professionals, partnering with the right professionals. We're really going to talk about two main professionals right here that you really need on your team. Uh, to, to help you get those offers accepted, you're going to need some cooperation for one. The first one is your financing partner. But the, before we start, the first question I ask every single partner that I work with is how can I be your best client? How can I be your best client? I promise you, you are not the only one working with the finance company or the finance partners and the realtors. They've got more clients than they have homes to, to sell them. And so I always lead off with how can I be your best client? What can I do on my side to make sure that I'm doing everything you need so that this can be a great partnership and I can be your best client? This really sets the stage. That one question sets the stage for a really great working relationship. So I want you to write that down. How can I be your best client? First conversation you have with any of your partners. You know, don't go into it asking, hey, I've got a whole list of questions and how can you help me? Start off by saying, how can I help you? What's in it for me? You know, everybody tunes in to WIFM. What's in it for me? Everybody tunes out of what's in it for you, you know? And so it, when, it, when it turns into what, what can they do for me, they're going to they're gonna bounce. If they can figure out what I can do for them and I ask that and I lead with that, it's going to set the stage for a great relationship. Now, that doesn't mean 
that we don't have certain expectations. We absolutely do. And we're going to start with our financing partner. So if you're a cash buyer, then you, you know the financing partner is not a big deal. But even our cash buyers right now, most cash buyers right now, because money is so cheap to lend, they're using their cash to go buy deals and then they're financing them on the back end. And so they're usually pulling their money back out with financing. It's very common right now for cash buyers to come in buy them with cash and then finance them out. So, but there are some, there's some issues with that. If you're a cash buyer, you better know you still need a finance partner that's going to cash you out at the end. And you can't just assume that you can go cash yourself out depending on what the loan program is and what your lenders allow. Some lenders have season, um, seasoning requirements where you have to hold the property for so long before you can pull your money back out. You should know some of those things. So still talk to the lender about your strategy with your cash, right? And so, you know, you have to decide how you're going to pay for it, right? Are you going to use cash? Or are you going to pull that money out in cash? Are you going to finance it? Most people are going to uh, are, are going to finance these properties because money's so cheap. And so um, you're going to most likely use one of three types of financing. And I'm not going to get into the details again of this, but you're going to you're going to probably use traditional or conventional lenders um, is what, what a lot of people do. That's going to be your your best down payments, your best rates. They're full doc loans. You're qualifying for the property with your own personal income, and so. But th that's when you hear about 10% down financing and and you know basically prime rates. That's where you hear about that. Those are the traditional conventional lenders. There's also traditional conventional investment type financing where you can get you know, 15, 20% down, but you're still qualifying for that property with your own personal income. The next is a portfolio or asset-based lenders. And sometimes you hear these referred to as DSCR lenders. That stands for debt service coverage ratio loans. And so these are loans where you don't qualify for, your, for the property. In most cases, that property doesn't even hit your own personal credit report or your, your debt to income. The property itself qualifies. And so that's another popular option. They're higher down payments, higher interest rates are usually going to be between 20 and 25% down. And they're going to be a point to a point and a half higher on the interest rate. And then then you've got private lenders and really the sky's the limit with what you can do with private lenders. Most private lenders are going to be more on the short-term bridge, bridge type financing if you're doing it on a short-term. Like you might go in with a private lender actually is a lot of times a good option for those. Uh, there's a lot of cash offers that are used private lend. They use private lender money for their cash offer and then they're able to go cash that, uh, that out on a short-term. That's where private lenders come in for a lot of cash buyers that are out there that really aren't cash buyers, right? You, you tap into a private lender for their cash and then you take them out with long-term financing after you get the deal. But you better know if they need, if you need to take them out in three months or six months, you better make sure that your long-term financing is able to do that. And so you don't double check that. So a couple of questions to ask your lender. One, do they offer a full approval upfront so that you, you know, it, where that's, what that means is it's contingent only upon finding your house. That, that means you can go in and have zero days for your financing approval. Most contracts are written with, you have a certain amount of, there's a financing contingency. You have a certain amount of time to get out of the deal to get approved for the loan. Well, a seller doesn't want to see you get, take 10 or 15 days to get approved for the loan. So if you can get fully underwritten and approved for the loan outside of the house contingent upon finding the house, then you can be confident going in and actually um, going, putting zero days for financing approval. That's really attractive because now the seller doesn't have to worry about that. So that's a good question to ask. What is their reputation for closing on time in this market? You can find that out. And, and do they have a really good reputation for closing on time? You know, I always tell lenders, I, I don't care if I have a no from them up front, but when I have a yes, I better get to the closing table. We better close it, whether that's for myself or our clients or our buyers. Uh, we want to make sure 
that they have a really good reputation for getting to the closing table. You want to find that out. Ask them. You know how quickly can they close? Is this something if you have pre, if you have a, a full pr approval contingent upon the um, the house being found? You know most likely the only thing you have to wait for is the inspection and the appraisal. And depending on the market, they're going to be able to tell you, hey, we can close this in 15 days. We can close this in 20 days. You know, find that number out because that's you're going to need to know that as we start to structure the deal, right? Which we're going to be talking about here in just a minute. So do they have a communication plan for the listing agent, you know, when they're submitting an offer? How are they, you know, listing agents and lenders need to work really closely, or excuse me, buyer's agents and lenders need to work really closely together and through that buyer's agent, they're going to set it up. When you get an offer accepted, your does what does that lender do to communicate with the listing agent? There should be communication there. So I would ask what their communication plan is. If they look at you with you know deer in the headlight eyes, that means they don't do that, and you want to move on. And we'll talk about that in a minute uh, of what you know as we're structuring the deal. There's a few things we're going to do, and and that's why I'm talking about this now. And I'm going to I'm going to point you in the direction of how we use our lenders and our realtors in our favor to really help us win these deals. So, you know, when um, your lender and their process is extremely important in getting your offers accepted into the closing table, they, they should have a process to get you both the communication with the agents, to make you stand out in the crowd and how you're able to structure the deal. So they should have a process to get you your offer accepted and to the closing table. Ask them what it is. Ask them, say, hey, listen, these are really hot markets right now. You know, we're competing against cash buyers. We're coming in as a, and with, with financing. What do you have on the table? Like, are there things that you guys are doing that are that's working? Can you share that with me? What is your process for getting our offers accepted and then making sure that we close on time when we say we're going to close? So the number two partner is your realtor partner. So this is the next, the next step. And your realtor is often going to be your first point of contact and your most relied on professional on your team. You're going to lean a lot on your realtor partner. And, you know, I, I always say this, all realtors are not created equal. And you need to make sure that you have, that your realtor is professional. They understand the market. They understand the game. They are a short-term rental specialist. They understand the type of properties that we're buying so that they, they can help us as we're negotiating. They can help us with their expertise. They need to understand the market intimately, and we need to be able to trust them and rely on them. And like I said, all realtors are not created equal. And so you want to make sure, you know, most, most realtors aren't used to working with investors. Most realtors are not used to working with specific asset classes. And depending on the market you're going into, sometimes if it's in a, in, in a resort destination market, they're going to be more familiar with the short-term rentals than somebody that might be in just like a regular suburban market that you're going to go into. And so, but it's really important that they understand the game we're playing. And so, you know, hey, there's a couple of questions you can ask your realtor. Again, we're not, these are not all-inclusive. We go into way more depth in that, you know, if we were, if we were talking about this, but you know, ask them a couple of questions about that are, and, and you'll be able to see by their answers if one, if they know the market, two, if they understand short-term rentals, you know, ask them why people visit the area. You know, if they just are a regular residential agent, they might not be, they might not have an answer for this, right? Why do people come visit the area? Are there specific zoning rules and regulations in the area? Most areas have zoning rules and regulations. And so if they say, oh yeah, there's, there's, pretty strict ones, ask them in detail what they are. You know, I've heard a lot of areas. I own a property in an area that if, you know, that if you, on the surface, it looks like you can't do short-term rentals. 
but there are, there are very specific areas that you can go operate legally with short-term rentals and, and the properties in those areas actually sell for about 20 to 30% higher than other similar properties that are not in those areas that are not zoned for short-term rentals. So ask them that they should know that. And so what are the regulations and then ask them to explain them to you. So you know how to operate within them, you know, what is the seasonality of the area? It's another great question. You know, what do rental guests want most in the area? Um, you know, this, so these are just some questions to make sure that, Depending on their answers, you can kind of vet out if they are, if they understand what they're doing in this game. Do you have a unique game plan? This is a, this is a great one. Again, kind of similar to the, the lender prep question that we asked. Do you have a unique game plan to make my offer attractive to the seller? Many of these agents are super, um, you know, creative and they've seen things work. And so if they have a game plan to do this, let's see what it is. And then we can share our game plan. We can share some of our ideas. And together you can come up with a winning strategy. So, and the next is how long have you been an agent in this market? It's, you know, there's nothing wrong. Everybody has to start somewhere. There's really competent brand new agents, right? But, you know, if they don't have a, a great reputation or they haven't been around in a long time, I've seen in many, many markets where if, you, you know, when you're competing against a lot of people, most of the, most of the listings are from the more established agents a lot of times. And they're going to look at the buyers coming in. If they don't recognize the agent or they don't, it's a brand new agent. They're going to be like, man, I don't know if this is going to get to the closing table. And so they, sometimes, sometimes that is not a great thing in your favor if they haven't been in the market for a while. And so find out if they've been in the market and then also find out how active they are. Some agents have had a license for 20 years, but they've sold 20 houses. They sell a house a year. So they're not real active. So find that out as well. So all right, so now we're going to get to the nitty gritty. Now we're going to talk about structuring the deal to stand out in the crowd. And, and I know that's what, why you guys are here. And so I tried to roll through that other, the, you know, the, the foundational pieces fast. But I really want you guys to understand that what we're talking about in planning your property acquisition, understanding your experience level, and really partnering with the right professionals, these are critical pieces to get your offers accepted because they allow you to go be aggressive as you need to be, you know, and understand how aggressive you should be and understand that the, the right professionals, they're going, the, the, your team, your professional dream team is that that's going to be part of your winning strategy, not just having some tactics and escalation clauses and other things that we'll talk about. It's understanding all of this and having that foundation where you're really ready to go in these markets. And you have to be. You can't be second guessing everything that you're doing when you're going to make an, making an offer. Okay, so let's talk now about structuring your deal to stand out and crowd. One thing you really have to understand is the highest and the highest cash offer does not always win the deal, right? It's like, okay, the, the cash offer with the quick close and the best and highest offer does not always win the deal. In fact, I would say it's not even close to the high percentage of the time that that wins the deal. You have to understand that sellers all have unique circumstances and needs, every single one of them. If you can become a solution to their problem and their needs, you're going to win more offers than you lose. And so keep that in mind, in the back of your mind, and every time we're going into this, we're trying to figure out what is the solution that we can solve or what can we be a solution to the seller's problem? What problem can we solve for that seller? And so one, you want to seek out win-win deals. And so, you know, there's nothing, 
it's so old school to think that you're going to go out and you're going to be this hardcore negotiator and it's going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to get the best deal and it's going to be a bad deal for the seller. You should be finding win-win deals. It should be a great deal that's, that is a solution to the seller's problem and is a great deal for you and the, the property and the terms and everything else fit your property goals and your long-term goals with property. So seek out win-win deals. And then the number one question you want to ask a seller is what is important to them in this deal? And then just shut up and listen, ask them. And usually that's not you asking directly. It's why we, you wanna have a great partner on your team with your realtor. It's usually gonna be communicated through your realtor partner. And so allow them to go in and say, hey, listen, I wanna know what is most important to the seller in this deal. And they will most likely tell you. You know, sometimes right out of the gate, they're gonna say, like I've had, when I've asked that, I've had I've had agents come back, listing agents come back and say, hey, they just want, they want a clean deal. They want a, the highest possible price and the quickest possible close. Okay, okay, I get it. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna definitely do that. But what else? Is there anything else that's really important to them? We really like this property. We wanna make it attractive to the seller. What else? And so have a realtor that's willing to, that's willing to pry a little bit to get an answer. There is always something. There's always something. Like I said, they all have a unique circumstance and a need. They're selling the property for a reason. They're moving on to do something else. Find out what that is and try to figure out what you can do to solve that unique problem and circumstance. So just, just listen. It's all about listening. So again, I can't stress enough. Make sure you're asking this question. What's important to them in this deal and why they're selling it? And then listen. And then we're going to use that as we start to structure our deal. So one, you're finding out why they're selling, what you can do to solve their problem with your offer. Always, always, always let the seller know that you love the property. The seller should know they, they're selling a property. They've had great pride in this property. They probably had you know great pride of ownership. They've had some amazing times if it was a vacation rental. There's nothing, there's, again, it's such a, to me, it's such a turnoff negotiating tactic when you go in and try to pick a property apart. Like, well, it's got this wrong and it's got this wrong and it's got this wrong. Trying to set yourself up to negotiate the price down. That doesn't work right now. If you want your offers, if you want your offers accepted, and that's why that's why being an expert in the market, understanding your property goals, understanding where your top is and what, what makes sense for you on that property, you're, you're, you've got a dollar amount in mind that works for you. And, and if it doesn't work for the seller, great, but there's, it's not going to, that doesn't change a whole lot based on you going in and saying, telling the, the seller that, you know, they're, you don't like the paint color and you're going to be doing this because that's dated and everything else. They know if something's dated, they know the things that are wrong with the property. Tell them what you love about the property, because that'll help, that'll help your property stand out. That'll help your offer stand out. And we'll talk more about the love letter here in just a minute. So make sure that your realtor partner helping you negotiate this deal uses this strategy before submitting, prior to submitting your offer. One, and, and the strategy I'm talking about is one, asking the question, what's most important to them, right? I, I want to know that before I write the offer. And two, when they ask the questions, hey, listen, we really love this property. It's awesome. This, is, this really fits their needs. We want to make this happen. So what is what can we do to make it happen? And most agents don't ask that. You would think that everybody does. It seems common sense. So if you're competing with a lot of people, a lot of offers, there's probably a, a couple or maybe a handful at most that are asking that question. And so make sure you're used, you're doing that before you write the offers up. You know, again, I, I'm going to keep beating this horse dead. Everyone's looking for a solution to their problem. You want to figure out how to be a solution to their problem, and you can win the deal. So here's a, here we talked about love letters, right? Talking about, so a love letter is a letter that you write to the seller. 
and and they're very common and they work phenomenally well. Some people like them, some people don't like them. Some states have actually, I think Oregon, I think Oregon's said that you can't use them, maybe Washington, there's a couple of states. So double check that you can write love letters. Um, I, they, they're called, you know, different things. I call them love letters. Um, and it's, it, there, here's, there's a couple of do's and don'ts though, when you're writing these letters and these letters should be accompanied with the offer. And this is that, that what you don't want to do is you don't want to make this love letter too much about you. I've seen where I've, I've had, um, I've talked to sellers who have had multiple offers on their properties and they've had, you know, all these letters come in and not, not all of them, not all the, all the offers will have letters, but they'll have a handful of letters. And if you have too much about you and too much about your situation, you allow the seller to now say, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that. I remember one seller told me that they got a, a offer. They're like, man, we really like this offer. Um, but this, the, the person in the, in the letter was talking about being, you know, just starting up a brand new business and how they were really excited, you know, about the house because this, this was going to work well with the business. Well, because they had told them they were just starting up a new business, the seller got worried that, oh man, I wonder if, I wonder how the financing is going to go. You know, I wonder if they're going to get the financing in the end. So you don't want to make the letter about you. You want to introduce you and your family. And what you want to do is you want to, you want to tell them why the property is perfect, right? Why you love the property. It needs, the love letter should be about the property. It's a love letter about the property. And I think that's a, a big mistake a lot of people make is they try to appeal to the emotions of the seller by telling them all about themselves. Like, you know, and, and tell them about their, your situation. Don't make it about you. It's not about you. It's about them. And the way to make it about them is tell them how great the property is. And this is a big mistake that people make in these love letters. So what you want to do, the structure of this letter is first, you want to thank them for allowing you the opportunity to view and make an offer on their home, right? And, and you're going to articulate this much better. These are, the, these are your talking points in your letter. One, Thank them. Hey, we we love the property. Thanks for the opportunity to see it. It was awesome. And, and we were really excited to make an offer on it. Two, you want to compliment them and tell them the very specific things that you love about the home, right? There's a lot of people who are making sight unseen offers. And let's say you're not there. Maybe you, maybe you haven't seen the property, but you've seen it through Zoom with your agent. But there's a reason you love it. You want to compliment them and tell them very specific things that you love about the home. Pick a couple things out that you like. And then you do definitely want to tell them why this is the perfect home for you and your family by focusing on those specific things in, in areas of the home. And you probably want to add a couple, a couple different ones than you added above, right? Hey, we love this, this, and this. And by the way, this is going to be perfect because, you know, we're going to really enjoy doing this. And we're, we can see that you had pride of ownership here. And we're going to enjoy that as much as I'm sure that you did. Like it, it's all about the property, right? It's all about the, the love letter is all about the property. And then, you know, that this is another thing that a lot of people don't do. And this is critical is ask them if you missed anything in your offer, you know, that, and if you did, please let you know, so you can address it. A lot of times they do highest and best. And I've seen highest and best where you, you know, where there's you know, multiple offers, that's a highest and best situation and the letter or the agents and, and you want your agent to communicate this as well, but it's also communicated in the letter that, Hey, if we missed anything, please let us know. We tried to make this a great offer that, you know, based on what you had told us, but if we missed anything, let us know. And so that we have the chance to address it because we don't want to lose out on this deal. There's, I've seen it happen where that's in there. It's not the best offer. They call back and say, Hey, can you do this? 
And it's a small adjustment. And just because they asked them if they could do anything or if they, if you missed anything. So in that letter, make sure you ask them if there's anything you missed that you could change. And so you can address it. And then finally, you wanna thank them again for the opportunity to purchase and make this your home. So, so that's the do's and don'ts of a love letter. So you definitely want to write these. As long as your state allows it, you want to write them. And if, and you want to make sure that your agent's willing to, um, to present it. All it is, again, it's not about you. It's about the property. Just keep that in mind when you're writing these. So when your agent presents an offer, there's three things that should always happen. So these are the things that you're going to be doing to get these offers to stand out. And one, the offer should, should include the love letter, as well as a summary of the key points of your offer to make it that, that make your offer better, right? Most of these offers are multiple pages on state contracts and everything else. You want to make sure that your agent summarizes the key points in your deal. Like, hey, I, hey we've got zero down financing contingency in here. We've got a quick close. We're above average earnest money. These are just ideas. We, we can cover the appraisal gap coverage up to X amount, or we can cover it up to whatever, right? Make sure that you summarize some of those key points because these agents, that are, the listing agents that are accepting all these offers, it's really nice if they have the letter and they have a summary of the offer and especially a summary of what makes your offer better and the key points that make your offer better. And so you wanna make sure that your agent does that when they present the offer, summarize the offer. It makes it really easy for the listing agent. The easier you make it for the listing agent, the more it's gonna stand out, the more they're gonna talk about it to the seller. So make sure that you do that. Number two, your realtor should always, 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 always follow up the offer with a call and a text message. I can't tell you how many times offers get just emailed over and you know, and they're nice emails. Hey, you, here's our offer. We're super excited about it. Here's all this stuff. Make sure that you also follow up with a phone call and you articulate exactly why you love the offer. If they don't answer, your agent should leave a message. Hey, we left you, sent you an offer. Try to be really aggressive. I appreciate you talking to me. Tell me what the sellers wanted. We tried to address that stuff. And so we're really excited to hear back. My clients love the property and, and we really love to make this deal work. I know we can get to the closing table. You you know, the key points of, of what they want to, you want to say. And then they should also send a text message with the same thing. Hey, I just sent you an offer and, you know, we're super excited about it. If there's anything that we're missing that we can change, let us know. We'd love to make this deal happen and uh, love to work with you down the line. So your, your agent should say that. Number three, your lender should always do the, also do the same thing. As soon as your offer is sent over, now the listing agent also gets a call and a text message from your lender if you're not a cash buyer. And so that gives them the confidence to say, hey, listen, it doesn't, you know, we've got some cash offers on the table here, but, you know, I've got, I've got this great offer. I've got the lender saying, hey, they've been fully approved. They're ready to go. The lender's job is to talk about how great you are as a buyer and how they are going to get you to the closing table with no problem, right? And if they can't say that confidently, then you better go back to the drawing board. You shouldn't be making offers. Right? You should be in that position by the time you're making offers. And so if you're in that position and you went through that process, because a lot of people just get these automatic pre-approvals that are, you know, printed offline and they're these, you know, there's all these, um, all these steps that have to be met. They're, they're basically don't mean anything. Right. And so, and as a listing agent, when you're getting multiple offers and you're seeing all these pre-approvals, sometimes you don't recognize the ones that are fully approved. And so if your lender can reach out and say, Hey, so, you know, we've got them fully approved. We've gone through the underwriting process. They're ready to go. That's a big, that, that's a big deal for a seller to know that. And so, so those are the three things you want to make sure happens, right? Send your love letter with your offer. 
Make sure that it's summarized in the in the email that, you, that your agent sends, and then you want to make sure that you get a phone call and a text both from the realtor and the lender. So these team members, you can see why they're so important and why they're why they're such a big advantage to having a great team and, and great partners. Not all lenders are created equal. Not all of them have a plan to help you get your offers accepted. Sometimes this is they might feel like this is asking too much of them. If it is, you want to know that way before we get here. Right. And that's why I talked about that in the beginning. You want to make sure that those those boxes are checked. You know, you want to make sure those T's are crossed and those I's are dotted. So when we get here, you're having a really good chance of standing out in a crowded marketplace. And then you want to make sure that you're using an escalation clause effectively. For those of you that don't know, an escalation clause is we can make offers. And let's say I make an offer of five hundred thousand dollars. And I'm willing to escalate it. And what it, what an escalation clause typically says is I'm willing to beat the next best offer by X amount. And usually they go into $1,000 increments, maybe you know $2,000 increments, whatever that is, and say, I'll, I'll beat the next best offer by X amount. And then and usually you're going to have a cap on that. Now, um, a, agents are used to using escalation clauses at this stage. And, and most of the what happens is when there's multiple offers and a lot of agents are using escalation clauses, what happens is they all just kind of max each other out. And so one thing you first want to do is make sure that you do have, you're realistic about what you want to pay. You should have a cap on your escalation clause. If you're, if you have an escalation clause, it's $500,000 and you have an escalation clause that is $1,000 that beats a, the, any other offer by $1,000. One, an experienced agent is going to realize, okay, I'm probably getting two or three of these and they're just going to go infinitely high, right? There's no cap on it. So we know it's not going to go infinitely high. And what typically a listing agent and a really experienced agent is going to look at and say, they're just hoping to get saved by the appraisal anyways. So they don't really care how high this goes. This is a, a buyer or a, a, a buyer's agent that's hoping to just get saved by the agent. They're not serious about having a, a top end. And so you should say, hey, listen, we're serious. We know what we want to do. We're willing to go up to X. When you have a cap, it looks, uh, it's a lot more serious as a, as a listing agent, as a seller to say, hey, they're willing to go up to here. If it just goes on infinitely and you just escalate to whatever, and you're going to beat whatever next possible offer is, it doesn't, it's an experienced agent and seller is going to say, hey, that's not, that's not as serious as an offer as the person that capped it at 550, for example. And so you want to have a cap first and foremost. So know what that cap is and, and put it in there. Second, use some odd numbers so that you don't tie with somebody else. Again, you're probably going to have multiple escalation clauses in most offers. And so it makes it a lot easier for the listing agent is if, if let's say everybody, you had a couple offers that capped at the same amount. I've seen this many times. They, let's say it caps at 550 and one of you beats the other offer by 1,000 one of you beats the other offer by 1300, you know, if you have one, you can, you can have an odd number that beats somebody. So if they don't cap, you beat them by the 300 bucks. Also have an odd number on your cap, have a cap of 553, whatever, you know, so that it's an, it's an odd number that if, if, if everybody caps at the same amount and you've got a cap, that's a little bit different, that's not going to be a tie. You want to, you want to kind of give yourself the tiebreaker rather than having the listing agent have to call back and say, hey, we've got four of you that are all the same amount where you're at. 
And that usually is going to cost you a lot more than that extra two or three thousand dollars. So, so have an odd number on your cap and ha and have a cap, and then have an odd number on your actual increments. Most people are going to beat by a thousand dollars, maybe beat somebody by twelve fifty or thirteen hundred dollars. You know, and so that three hundred dollars is is insignificant in the in the grand scheme of the purchase. And so those are some some tips using an escalation clause. And then next get creative, you know, get creative based on what the seller was looking for. I, that we have so many examples of things that we learned when a seller told us what was important to them. You know, you can split the booking revenue with them that's on the books. You know, they, if it's a, if it's an existing short-term rental, say, Hey, listen, you've already got the next month or two booked. How about we split the revenue with you when that, when that revenue comes in and they can still see, realize some of that revenue. How about offering to let them stay at the property for a few weeks? Many times these are, these are, they're selling their own family vacation home, their own second home. And they've had some great memories there. Maybe offer to say, Hey, listen, we'll let you come back for a few, a few more times and, and define when they can come back and offer them to come stay at the property. You know, what about an extended lease back um, until they get moved out and give them some time to breathe and move in many of these markets, they, they want the, the high, fast closing offer. But then all of a sudden, sometimes a seller that's really stressful. If you, you know, they want to close, they want to get their money as soon as possible. But then they start to realize, oh, man. I have to be out of this house in 15 days, or I have to be out of this house in 20 days. And now I've got to really, and I don't want to start packing until they're fine, past all their inspections and everything else. So if you say, hey, listen, we'll close in 15 or 20 days, but I'm going to give you a lease back of two weeks or how, how much time do you need, right? And, and usually that is something that's insignificant to you as a buyer in the grand scheme of things, but it can be a big deal for a seller. You know, so really the sky's the limit here. So really just listen to the seller when you ask them that question of, you know, what are they looking for? What are they looking to get out of this deal? And then again, be a solution to that problem. And so hopefully, you know, you can be creative and you can get creative, but those are great strategies of being able to make the offer, have it stand out, and then really communicating and follow up. The last thing I want to talk to you guys about, and this is one of the biggest things that I see working right now. So I've got it in bold, underlined, and, and you should pay attention to it, is if you are not the winning bidder, ask to be in a backup position right now. This is one strategy that I've seen. It's so many offers accepted this past year. This is something that very, very few people are doing. And, it, and uh, it's estimated, I've heard in, in some of these markets, that 60% of cash offers either don't end up closing or they turn into financing offers. And then the seller is like, hey, you told me it was a cash deal. We're out. We're not, we're not playing this game. You, this was kind of the bait and switch. A lot of cash buyers are doing that right now. And so a lot of cash offers don't end up closing. And so they, they pull out. So they go back on the market. There are a lot of other deals that go under contract period that come back on the market for a lot of reasons. One of the biggest is most of these, most of these markets, you're getting into these bidding wars. And sometimes you've got some of these new buyers they get a little too aggressive and then they sleep on it and they're like, man, I don't really know. If, I don't know if I'm overpaying. I don't, I'm not an expert in this market. I don't know what, you know, if, if this makes sense or not. And so they get this buyer's remorse. They, all this doubt creeps, creeps in to my point earlier of laying that foundation. So you don't have that happen to you is really understand what you're getting into, what your property goals, what you should be paying for a property, how to underwrite a deal, all those things. Well, most people don't. And so there's a lot of people that win, that win offers and then they start to sleep on it for a couple of days and they back out. And so there are a lot of offers that come back on the market and they'll come back on the market a week or two later. And what the sellers don't want to go through the hassle of putting that home back on the market. And so, you know, if they're, if they go through that hassle of having to, 
put the home on the market. And, you know, it's first, it's a little embarrassing because they're like, my home sold for over ask price. They probably told everybody they have multiple offers. They probably told everybody that sold for X amount. And now they, now they backed out. And a lot of times it's not because of the home. So they have to, they have to run in their head. Like, okay, first, it's a little embarrassing. Second, I don't want other buyers to think something's wrong with my property. And so what they are looking for, if they can, is they'll go into the backup offers. And so most buyers do not go into backup position when they lose out on a deal. They usually get discouraged and they say, okay, on to the next one. And so when the property comes back on the market, you're, you're the only one standing. And it, you're, you're a win-win solution for the seller too, because they don't want to go back on the market. So this is a strategy that if you do not win and you came out and it was aggressive and it was a good deal and you know it was a good deal, ask to be in a backup position and make sure your agent asks the other agents, hey, we'd like to be, most states have a way to go as, a, as an official backup position where basically if anything happens to that offer, you're automatically, your offer is accepted and you go right into the, right into escrow and you start, you're under contract and now you're running down that road. And so I've seen a lot of times where properties come back on the market and it happens a lot in these really hot markets because properties sell quick. And there's a lot of reasons. One of the biggest is buyers have buyer's remorse. And so guys, I tried to barrel through that as fast as I could. And so I didn't stop for questions and I'd love to take some questions. If we, if we can figure out how to do questions, that's the, that's all I've got for you today. If you're part of our um, community and group, I know we've got a, a number of our members on here, probably watching this. I'm going to be posting this in our group. So don't worry about you know, asking where we can get this. This Google Doc is going to be in, inside of our group. So you guys can use this and, and access it. And I appreciate you being here. If you're not part of our world, if you're in this game and you haven't talked to us, I would encourage you to reach out. We've got, you can reach out and talk to us where we offer free strategy sessions where we can talk about your situation, exactly what you're looking to do and really dive deep into some of those, you know, if you're really trying to fill the gap and you know where where you're you're lacking some experience or you're looking for some more knowledge we'd love to fill the gap for you and so you can go to go to vodacy.com and look for book a call and if you just go to vodacy.com there's going to be somewhere on there that you can book a call with us and that'll take you through that process all right guys that's a wrap on today's episode of the vodacy vacation rental revolution podcast Thank you, as always, for being the best part of this show. I hope you enjoyed that training. I hope it was helpful. I hope it gave you some tips that, that you can go implement today to get your offers accepted. And if you got any value out of this show, as always, I always ask you to leave us a review, share it with somebody that you think this might be helpful with. Those things really do help us on both the podcast platforms and inside of YouTube. And so, again, thanks for joining me today. And go pick one thing that you can do today, just one thing that you can do to start to build that life that you don't want to take a vacation from. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers, my friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey, Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit bodicey.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.